I never even considered entrepreneurship. I just started feeling like I needed to have another creative outlet. I needed to share the things that I was doing in the corporate world. I actually started just by offering some consulting and some coaching on the side. And so I didn't leave right away. I was like, let me figure out like what I even want. Let me play around with it. Let me test it. Because I think in theory, it would have been really sexy and amazing to leave my job and do this thing that I loved. But did I really love it? I didn't know because I had never done it in that capacity before. So I wanted to test that out by doing the side hustle. And during that process, I paid off all my student loan debt in six months. And then I left the job shortly after that. Today is a special, special day because this is the very first Academics Mean Business episode to include a guest lecturer. This is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. Welcome, welcome. Yes, you heard me right, correctly. I don't even know what the grammar is for that, but either way, it doesn't matter because I have a substitute teacher. No, just kidding. That's actually not it. But <laughs> Adrian Dorson is our guest today. And oh my gosh, I like part of me is like, I don't even know how to record this intro because Adrian was somebody who I looked up to when I first started my business two years ago. She's about four years into her business. And she's going to chronicle her story and her background. But she is not a self-proclaimed academic. Um, she did go on to graduate school, actually. And she studied... She had an MS in ecology, a little bit more fancier of a degree than ecology alone. But She'll, she'll explain it. Natural something. I forget. But either way, she does have an academic background, but she never wanted to become a professor. She never wanted to really stay around the academy. She was playing with the idea of a PhD, but she basically looked at a very bleak job market um, around the time of the recession and basically took a job in corporate. And then from there, her story takes off into starting her own business. So yes, she was an early uh, mentor for me. She had a podcast that I learned a ton from. So it's so cool coming full circle and being like having her on, being able to share her expertise around efficiency, productivity, and you know, building a team and building a business that runs without you. It just feels so right to have her on. I'm uh, someone, you know, as an academic who has built a business that does have a team. And I, what she's going to teach you with her 4D mix framework from the clockwork book that her and Mike Michalowicz wrote together. They're basically partners in this new business called Run Like Clockwork. And she's going to teach us how to set up our business to do well and how to basically delegate early on in our business in order to start moving ourselves ourselves and our business forward and to make some of the you basically prevent ourselves from making some of the mistakes that I definitely made early on in my business. So it's a beautiful conversation. And one that I actually and I would love feedback on this. Um, one that I actually was surprised at how much there were parallels to academia, even though that's not, you know, being an academic, even though that's not what she would describe herself as. So I kind of loved it. There was a, a whole bunch that resonated with me. And I basically am taking that to mean it's going to resonate with you. So I hope you enjoy the first ever guest lecture. And if you do, please, please, please let me know. Let me know if you want more. I have a network of entrepreneurs um, that would not call themselves academics that I can definitely bring on to 
basically teach us what we need to know. Um, she gave us homework in this episode. So I would also love to hear that you completed the homework and that you had some ahas from it. All right. So without further ado, basically my efficiency on time in this intro is dwindling the more I babble. And it is time for Adrian Dorson. Welcome, Adrian Dorson. I'm so excited to have you on Academics Mean Business as the official first guest lecturer ever in the history of the podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Excited to carry that title of guest lecturer. <laughs> yeah, right? I was going to say, how does that feel? It's kind of like an honorary feels, doctorate or something. <laughs> yeah. Do I give myself those letters now? Yeah. yeah no, maybe. It, it feels really great. We should have a yeah. ceremony or something. <laughs> We'll play the Pomp and Circumstance song now. Okay, cue. <laughs> um, no, this is really exciting. This is kind of like a new chapter. I'm realizing that, you know, bringing in guest experts in different parts of building a business would be really valuable for my audience. And yeah. especially even sharing the journey of what it's been like for you to run a business, the different iterations it's taken, uh, the different people you're serving, um, and, in the, and in the ways that you serve them, I think just showing other examples is is really helpful. Mm -hmm. So you are my first guest that would not consider themselves an academic. But I know a little bit because we've talked about it. You do have this past in education that you were really passionate about at some mm -hmm. point. And so maybe tell us a little bit about what you studied in college, even if it's not related now, just so we can get a feel for your education background. Yes. So I have an undergraduate uh, bachelor's of science degree in wildlife ecology and conservation. And I have a master's of science in forest resources and economics. So a dual master's so that I could look at, you know, the economy side of natural resources, mm -hmm. which was super niche. <laughs> um, <laughs> <For sure. laughs> and I, I, bo I both taught and did research in my master's program as well. So that's my like, academic background. Cool. And what what were you planning on doing with that? I know everyone's <laughs> life takes like crazy journeys, but were you like, I'm going to be a professor or I'm going to take this knowledge out into the field into maybe a nonprofit or a corporation? What were you thinking? Yeah. So I totally thought I was going to uh, work at a nonprofit or for a government agency and do more research and ecology conservation work. Um, pretty much in that space, you do field work. Um, you do only field work. <laughs> Maybe if you have a bachelor's, you have to pretty much have a master's to do anything above that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why I went back and got the master's because I wanted to be able to do research and potentially teaching. I wasn't sure if I wanted to get a PhD. And I kind of waited mm. in between my bachelor's and my master's because I thought I don't if I went back right away, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to get it in. And so it's really interesting because I still didn't get it in something that I <laughs> utilized today, even yeah. though I like you were trying to a, prevent that. <laughs> I was trying to prevent that, but you just can't. You never know like what mm. direction your life will turn. But I ended up. Um, it was you know n not a great time in in the world in the U.S. The recession time, and yep. I ended up doing some environmental education for a few years. So I was working with students age kindergarten to high school and teaching them 
outdoorsy stuff about the environment. And it was one of the coolest things I ever did. It got me really comfortable with teaching. Mm-hmm. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you teach like seven classes a day to kindergartners or high schoolers. That's a whole other ballgame. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And then after my master's program, I took a job with a private corporation. And I Mm. never thought that I was going to do that. What? Yeah. What switched for you there? Job opportunity uh, Mm. presented itself. And I knew that it was going to be hard for me to get a job anyways. Like that was just very clear in the climate and the people who had graduated before me. Um, There's only limited jobs available in that space. And so you're kind and people stay in them and like until they retire, right? So you're kind of limited every year in terms of what's going to be available. And so when they started doing interviews for private corporations at our school, like they would come to our school because we were one of the best forestry schools in the country. So they would come out and do interviews and things like that. And and the honestly the the money and the uh, benefits and the opportunity that they presented was more than I ever thought I was going to make in my life. And it was like a starting package because Mm -hmm. in my field, most people make, I thought like, Oh, I'll make 35,000 a year for the rest of my life. Like I thought that Mm -hmm. would be like the best I would make. And that's not being like, that's not an exaggeration. That's what the job market was. Right. And so when I was going to make 60,000 my first year and there was so much potential for growth and they were willing to invest in me. And I was like, I'll take it. (laughs) Right. There was nothing else happening. So it was just kind of the opportunity that presented itself at Mm. the time. Yeah. That's so interesting because it's like, that's how to imagine Adrian Dorson making 35K a year and being cool with that is like, what? That seems so weird. But I was cool with that too. You were cool with that. Yeah. Which was why my world shifted so much over the past five years because I never wanted that. Totally. And I think my audience will really resonate with that because a lot of academics go in for the love of knowledge, right? And, you know, caring for the environment is this very like public act that, you know, yeah, isn't valued that much in our society currently, unfortunately. And so, yeah, as a as a government job potentially that you'd be getting or a nonprofit, you tend to put your passions and the things you care about um, in the forefront and money and taking care of yourself is in the is on the uh, the other side of that. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I love that because I think that will definitely, definitely land with a lot of people. And the idea that we kind of make decisions about, especially like knowledge and pursuit of information and learning and teaching and those kind of things, we kind of just keep going. And then we make decisions when we hit dirt, certain points in life. And I think you bringing up the recession, I remember those days too. That's when I decided to get my master's was during the recession. And then we jumped right into grad school. And so I know a lot of people or doctorate work, a lot of people make that decision of like, oh, well, I think I want to teach. And so I should probably do that while I'm trying to hopefully land the professor job, which another job that's very rare to land the tenure track job like you were looking at. So you're looking at this grim job market and you're at this like kind of fork in the road. And so you go with the corporation. Okay. So I know, I know a little bit of your story around that. What made you want to start your own business? Yeah. So I, when I was in that private corporation, I felt like I was getting a lot of good education there. I was doing um, more of the business side of things, to be quite honest. I wasn't out in the field as much as I originally thought I would be. 
Um, but there was still, I worked for a forestry company. So it was a private corporation still in the forestry world. And I, I did have like some touch points to the land and to the timber and things like that, which mm-hmm. were important to me. But I was getting a lot of business development. More specifically, I was trained in Lean Six Sigma, which is all about operational efficiency. And that led me to more projects in the corporate space where I was able to utilize those skills. I loved that work, um, but I didn't love the corporate environment or Mm. the things that uh, held me back from doing my job. Right? I felt like at, at a certain point, I felt like they were paying me to do something that they weren't eventually letting me do. Right. Like I would do all this work on a project and then, you know, find this opportunity for a huge cost savings or for a process improvement, which was my whole role. And then they would not approve it because it didn't really excite them or they thought it was too much work or we couldn't get the union workers to get on board Mm -hmm. with it. And so there was a lot of uh, politics involved that weren't sitting well with me, right? Like if I was going to be there, I wanted to be able to do my job. And if you were going to pay me, I felt like I owed something to the company to do that. And Mm. and it became very clear to me that I didn't see myself there forever. Whereas if you would have asked me the year before or, you know, six months before that or three years before that, I would have said, I'm going to be a VP here. I really wanted to be like VP of sustainability. Like that was going to be my, my track. And I was on a very fast growth track as it was. Um, I was the the woman who said, sign me up for anything. And oh, you got another project? I'll do it. Right. I was the, I'll raise my hand to move myself ahead. But I never really knew what I wanted to do necessarily. I never even considered entrepreneurship. I just started feeling like I needed to have another creative outlet. I needed to share the things that I was doing in the corporate world or trying to do in terms of operational efficiency and business development and like how to get more results with less energy or effort, which was kind of my job role there uh, at a really large scale. And so I started writing about it on a blog. (laughs) And from that blog, I found this online space that I didn't know existed (laughs) because I don't know about you or about your listeners, but I feel like there's like a gateway drug. Like you find one person (laughs) and then it like opens you up to the next person and then the next person and the next person. And my gateway drug was Dave Ramsey because at the time I was getting myself out of my student loan debt. So I had about $50,000 of student loan debt and I was taking Dave Ramsey's program because I knew that if I wanted to get out of my corporate job, it was important to me personally to pay off that student debt so that I could minimize my monthly expenses if I left the job. So when I found Dave Ramsey, I found all these, you know, online communities of these people who had side hustles and people that had these full-time businesses and I was just so inspired by the idea that maybe I could do that too. <laughs> so mm. I actually started just by offering some consulting and some coaching uh, on the side of my corporate job. And so I didn't leave right away. I was like, let me figure out like what I even want. Let me play around with it. Let me mm. test it. Because I think in theory, it would have been really sexy and amazing to leave my job and do this thing that I loved. But did I really love it? I didn't know because I had never done it in that capacity before, right? So I wanted Mm -hmm. to test that out by doing the side hustle. And during that process, I paid off all my student loan debt in six months. 
And then I left the job shortly after that. If that is an inspiration, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm sitting here going like, I like you guys. There are entrepreneurs that are a lot more aligned with academics than we pretend. Like I've started this like little, you know, corner of the internet where it's like academics who've started businesses. And I'm like, this is exactly the same thing. The idea that you get inspired, you follow the trail. I could only imagine that Dave Ramsey, um, were, were people talking about starting side incomes as a way to be able to help? Yes. So like, that was that's exactly like part of it's not just budget. Yeah, that's like part of his mm-hmm. thing. You can only reduce your expenses so yep. much, right? And so if it, if the numbers aren't matching, here's an idea: take on some side work, right? And I didn't know what that side so work good. was going to be. It could have been a lot, like could have been mowing lawns, could have been babysitting kids, mm-hmm. could have been like I also uh, taught workout classes, so I actually did that and I made money doing that. It was not like a ton of money, but it was thirty dollars yep. a class here and there throughout the week, and yep. I was basically doing anything to get rid of mm-hmm. this debt as quickly as I could. And and this now business just happened to be one of those things. But there was, yeah, there was a ton of other people in this space. And when I, you know, when I found Dave Ramsey, then I found this other guy named John Acuff. And he has a community full of people who have side hustles. And he has a book called Quitter, which is all about quitting Mm. your job. (laughs) So that's what I mean. Like when you open that Pandora's box with one, just like people listening to this podcast, they're exposed to so many more people. And it was like, believing it's, it was so much more real to me to, to see other people doing it that I felt like it was possible Mm. for me once I had those real connections, you know, like these are real people that are doing this, whether it was in a Facebook group or just seeing them on the internet, like it felt like, Oh, maybe I could do that too. Mm, I love it. And let's just like full circle moment. Adrian is somebody that plays a big part in my like story from two years ago. Um, I was at a conference where <laughs> literally the business idea that I have even today that has shifted a little bit, but not really, that download came at that event. And I like Adrian, <laughs> I sat across from her at lunch. Melissa Griffin was to the right of me and she was like, why aren't you teaching people how to teach online? And I was just like, what? And then I run up to Adrian like, Adrian, I can help you. Like, I don't even know what it is. And she was like the first person I sold anything to that wasn't health related. But it was like not even selling. It was like, I could really help you with this because I have the skill set. And so I do want to add that that whole thing of, you know, Adrian's podcast was something that I listen to regularly. Mm. Is it still up? It's still up. You can go find it. it, I'm not recording live right now, but it's still up. There's like over 250 episodes that you can go listen to other she taught some great stuff like really good stuff so we're definitely going to cool. link to the to the episode below or the show below because you were somebody that was in my ears as I was building a business it was you Amy Porterfield Pat Flynn those were like my three people and Shalene Johnson Th- those were my like gateway drugs to like oh I could sell my own thing here are these mm. people selling stuff yes. online and building these businesses and yeah I remember meeting you at Todd Herman's event and I was like I I'm, love your podcast. I'm getting it's this so bug to I start. I keep getting all these signs that I have to so start crazy. podcasting again. So thank good. you for another one today. Here it is. Yeah. Here it is <laughs> <laughs> on a platter. Super cool. Okay. So now that we kind of got a feel for what got you into this space, you've been in business now then. So, so you paid off debt. You did that thing. How long has it been now? Uh, almost four years. Four years. So just cool. under four years. Cool. Yep. So I'd love to paint a quick picture for the audience too about how it shifted. And then I want to get into what you're doing now because 
for those of you listening, like the operational efficiency is here. Like she's going to help us um, hire our first folks, really set up our business where we're not doing everything that we're not responsible for everything and make it run like clockwork. She's going to teach us that. But before that, I just want to, I like to demonstrate to people that their business is going to shift and Mm -hmm. that the decisions they're making today are likely going to be very different than the ones in the future and that their business can change. But that taking some of those initial first steps um, are kind of the the most important. So if you could share totally. how your business has evolved. Yeah. So when I first started, I was, um, you know, I just kind of like posted on my personal Facebook page to try to get some clients in there. I was, you know, talking more specifically about like, how do we get better results in our life with less mm. effort, right? So I, w- I wasn't using terminology like operational efficiency because I knew... Well, I didn't know. I just thought that um, people wouldn't necessarily know what that is or they wouldn't connect with it. I also kind of thought that I didn't like doing that (laughs) anymore, Mm. which was not really that I didn't like doing that. It was the outfit that I was wearing that I didn't like, right? Like I didn't like the corporate environment that I was Mm. in, but I Mm. actually loved what I was doing. And I thought that I needed to do something totally different or that I just wanted to shed that part of me. And that's a lesson that I learned later down the road that I think is really valuable for people, especially if you have this expertise and this knowledge, you're an academic and you have probably the curse of knowledge that you think everyone knows this thing and they don't. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. what I thought. Mm -hmm. I thought that everyone knew all the things that I was doing there. It felt very basic to me um, or something that people wouldn't want. And, you know, maybe a year and a half, two years into running my business, I realized that was the thing that people actually needed and that I was actually the best at. So Mm. I was doing a lot more, um, more just like generic business coaching for people, you know, how do we get better results in our, and, and the same principles apply. I think I was probably teaching a lot of the same things I, I still teach, um, today, just in a little bit of a different capacity. But I wasn't selling it as that, right? I wasn't Mm. selling it as operational efficiency. I was just selling it as growing your business. And that's Mm. what I thought people wanted. And it did work for me. It it taught me every lesson that I needed to know along the way. Mm -hmm. And I still am Mm -hmm. very good at that, right? Like I still can help people in that area of business strategy and, and how to get maximum out of what you're doing. So over the past, um, I'd say year and a half, I've developed a partnership with an author and a speaker. And the only reason that that partnership came to be was because about six months before that, I started really leaning into this idea that my expertise was more valuable to more established business owners who really Mm -hmm. had a team or were starting to build that team and they needed the operations side of things, right? Because when you're first building those first steps of business, I think it's most important to validate your product, sell Mm -hmm. it, figure out like what that is and then grow it, right? Like, And I think Mm -hmm. that once you're beyond the, okay, does this thing, is this validated? Can we sell it? Then we can move into more like helping the operation run really well. And so I was really leaning into that through my messaging and through my clients. I was only taking on clients that really needed that type of support. And when the author, his name is Mike McCallowitz, he wrote, he's written a few books and he was looking for someone who had like a lean six sigma and operational efficiency background. And I had a 
peer who was like, oh, I know someone. And the only reason that he made that connection was because I was brave enough to start talking about this thing that I felt like no one would know and no one would Mm. understand. And I was just so ready to stop dumbing myself down. I was ready to stop like catering to the beginners or the market and really start leaning into the expertise that I really had. And one of my mentors who we just talked about, Todd, Todd Herman, flat out told me, he said, Adrian, you're not an internet marketer. It's it's mm. it could be easy for you to teach those things, but what you do is really special and really valuable and you need to start leaning into it. Like you need to own that thing. And I was like, Okay. And that was when I really started to own this operational efficiency for small business owners and really started to develop frameworks that served small business owners a little bit more effectively than the big business manufacturing space I was in and that I learned all the efficiency principles around. So I was doing my own intellectual Mm. property creation, right? Like, How do I develop intellectual property that isn't the same as that, but I can absolutely use all of my past expertise and past trainings to say, okay, what about that actually doesn't work for the small business owner? And what about it Mm. might, right? And so then I started working with my private clients to do that. And that's how this um, new business was formed with my partner because he was writing a book and he just like kept one. He was just going to interview me once for the book. And then he kept interviewing me for the book (laughs) because he was like, oh, you're actually probably the person who should have wrote the book. But (laughs) um, he's a much better writer. He's a much better speaker. And our our zones of genius just really aligned really well Mm -hmm. because I love working with the clients. I love developing the intellectual property and creating new frameworks and tools for people. And he loves writing and speaking. And so the book is called Mm -hmm. Clockwork. And it's all about how to design a business that runs itself. And our business is called Run Like Clockwork. And we serve end customers who, you know, they go through the book and then they want to take it a step further. And so that's the business that we have now. Um, you know, I still do some consulting in my other business, but I'm primarily just really focused on, yeah. And all of it is operational efficiency now, right? Like none of it is just generic business coaching because I've really leaned into this idea that like I had this curse of knowledge. I didn't understand the value of what I did. Um, and once I started leaning into that and felt like I was up to the task of overcoming Mm the lack of knowledge or lack of sexiness around operational efficiency. So in the beginning, I just thought they're not going to understand this. And I wasn't apparently up to the task in the beginning to overcome that. And now I'm like, they're maybe not going to understand this, but it's my job to figure out how to get them to understand this and to get them to Mm -hmm. understand how important this is for their business if they want to run it and if they want to grow it. And if they want to also have a life beyond it. (laughs) So I think I just finally said to myself, that's not an excuse anymore for you to not do this if they don't understand the language or how valuable what it is, like what you do is. And I think I was a little Mm. bit jaded by that. I felt like internally I was like, but I'm different. I'm different than every other business coach. Why don't people see that I have this major expertise? And it was like, because you weren't telling them that. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. That is huge. I, it's so funny because for me, I'm like, oh, it's like the professor who's trying to like take their like really advanced doctoral research and like give it to a student who might be in a one on one class, right? They're not advanced students. And so I think that 
we can relate mm-hmm. to that as academics to be like, okay, how do I teach something in this in plain English? But then at the same time, I also feel like we get really wrapped up in the language because we're so used to speaking and talking and writing in a certain mm-hmm. way. So for us, the marketing is really hard. Yeah. And you um, should read my thesis. Yeah. Like, Exactly. It's like no one yeah. care. No one knows what organizational efficiency is. But I think you knew. It's funny, like, to me hearing you talk about it, you knew organizational, like efficiency was important. And you're like, Oh, but I can't talk to them like that, because they they don't come from this like corporate world. But then I think it's easy to get into the start a business space and be like, Oh, I'm just going to do what other people are doing because it's working. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. And you did really well for yourself. (laughs) But then to be like, have a mentor be like, your zone of genius is this, like, go do this right now, because that's what people need from you. And so now you're stepping into this, like, oh, all of you is showing up. Stop hiding behind this other thing. Mm -hmm. Stop hiding behind this generic thing when you're not generic. And I think that every part of me knew that. But I needed someone else mm. to say that to me. Yep. Yep. And that's huge. And that's that shows how important like mentors, you know, just yeah, mentors going yeah. to events too. Like I'm thinking about that kind of happening to me in some way. And like there's always those moments of someone seeing you in a different light or believing you in a different way. Um, yeah. And then recently Gary Vee being like, go do this. And it's like, oh yeah. You're right. And it's like, but, but that jump is big because usually the like, oh my gosh, this thing that you're stepping into is bigger than you than the thing that you were playing small with, which is like being somewhat like other people, even if you were successful. Right. Still more comfortable because change still more hard. And the other thing is like, and being like a trailblazer in so many ways. Right. Like your work, I see your work happening at a really important time. Like two years ago, Adrian or Adrian four years ago, couldn't, I don't think could have actually launched a business like this. Now entrepreneurs, you know, I think, I think the market has mm-hmm. shifted a little bit. Like it's, it's, you know, courses like me being on the course side. Um, it's a very mature yes. market now to be running a course that, you, you know, it has to be advanced. And so what's happening is people are needing help scaling because you can't just set it and forget it anymore. And so what does it look like to, you know, replicate myself and create a process out of the work I do? And that me as the magic sauce isn't totally scalable. So what is right. And so I think you're coming in at a perfect place, but it's also very trailblazing because that, that isn't, there isn't that much out there around this topic. And you got, you and Mike are, you know, exactly combining both Mm -hmm. your skill sets. I think our, our conversation is also bringing up this idea of Mm -hmm. partnerships. Um, you know, as an academic, you might have this like knowledge, you could probably partner with somebody who's more into the business and marketing as a way to get your information and content out there in a different way. So, you know, I don't want to discount like, you don't have to do it all by yourself and that people do form partnerships all the time. So if you have an established, you know, academic background or knowledge or, you know, a series of books that you've written, and you want to create a course on that or a membership site, like, you know, partnering with the right person that has that skill set could really elevate you as an academic totally. as well and public. Totally. Facing. Like so, that's not ever yeah. even an option that I was hearing about or that mm, was exposed mm-hmm. to me. And so I never had like intentions going in that like, oh, I'm going to get a business partner. Like I was doing great on my own. Mm-hmm. Right. So like why have a partner? <laughs> but I just saw our ability to stay in our lanes really nicely. Yep. And be able to 
serve our customers even better. And that was the main focus. Like, how could we serve more people? How could we do this even better? Like, just focus on the thing that you're really great at. (laughs) And so that's an option for people. I think that most people aren't talking about that as an option, right? But Mm, it's true. It is an option. Yeah. I'm seeing it more and more. Or maybe not. Maybe I'm just like paying attention to it more just because I've seen people do it. And it has to be the right partner. And caveat, right? And the right partner. (laughs) It's almost like a marriage. Like, yeah, do you make yourself better? (laughs) Like, does your partnership make you a better version or whatever they say? It's like marriage with a lot more money flying around. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) Good problem to have. So Adrian, I'd love to give us some of your knowledge as our guest lecturer, Um, you know, coming from what you've learned running a business and and particularly creating a team. I know I have some listeners who are just kind of here for the inspiration, but I also have some listeners that have businesses running right now. Mm -hmm. So what would be some of your first initial steps in hiring somebody? So you've reached capacity, maybe you've started serving some one-on-one clients and you're recognizing, oh, wait, you know, I'm trading dollars for hours in some way. Yeah. How can I I become more efficient and right. and uh, really, I don't want to say replicate myself, but like start to get help. Start basically. to move in that direction, right? Mm-hmm. Like start being more efficient with our days and also removing yes. ourselves from some of the doing. So mm-hmm. uh, this is inside the book as well. So if people want like expanded lesson, I'm going to give you the quickie, quickie lesson for sure. today's show. But We have a framework called the 4D mix. And when we have a client or someone comes to our workshops or when we're thinking about hiring a team member or if we already have team members on board, we like to do this analysis like every quarter with our clients, right? So this is a great time to start thinking about this. But what we do is some time tracking. So you're going to track your time for... Uh, at least three days. I like to get at least a week would be a good amount of time because it'll give you, um, you know, there's always some outlier days or outlier tasks that are thrown in there. I mean, I want you to try to track every single thing that you do <laughs> down to the nitty gritty. And the more specific you are, the more this will help, right? So even though it's mm. annoying in the uh, interim and like while you're doing it, uh, it'll be super valuable uh, for you to be able to look through sort of like a scavenger hunt at the end. And I'm going to let you know what we're actually looking for with mm. this analysis, right? So you're going to track as many specifics as humanly possible of everything you do for work or for the business. Business, right? Okay. So, we, so not like bowel movements. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to track that <laughs> unless you're doing unless some you're taking stuff. too long, and then <laughs> yeah. and then maybe we should have a conversation. Uh, but everything <laughs> business related. So I don't need your like morning workout in there. But if you if that just helps you keep everything on track, mm-hmm. do that too. It won't matter. And once you do that, we're going to assign each of the activities that you do one of these D's. And so I'm going to go through the D's so that you understand like what the heck. I'm talking about. All right. So the four D's are a way to understand what type of work you're doing. Okay. So there's different types of work and every business owner typically traverses all of these types of work at some point. And your mix or your makeup of what types of work you're doing is going to change over time. Right. Mm -hmm. 
So the first D is doing, right? And doing means that you are the person who's actually doing the work, right? Like you're doing the tasks, uh, everything relies on you. And this is typically where we all start pretty much all of us. We all start at the beginning, right? So all of us start pretty much doing the majority of our tasks, so that's just that one just is pretty straightforward. You know you're responsible. So anything that you are doing, you're going to go back to your time tracking and just write next to it in a new column. I like to just do it on an Excel spreadsheet, right? Doing. These are doing tasks or activities. The second D is deciding. And this is one that often... This is a new concept that we're talking about in the book. It gets very much overlooked in the space of team building. And this is when you actually are assigning tasks to other team members, right? So assigning tasks. You sort of have task rabbits. And and what happens is when we're in the doing and we're doing like 100% of the doing, we start thinking to ourselves, wow, I can't... I can't bring on any more clients. I can't serve any more customers if I'm still the one doing everything. I need to hire someone to take some of this off my plate. And we think that by hiring this first person, whether it's part-time, full-time contractor, your kid, doesn't really matter, right? That it's going to bring all of this new time into our world. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, we're going to be freed. We're like, I I just made this hire. Everything's going to be amazing. Lindsay's laughing because I know she's seen this like (laughs) probably with her clients. She's probably done. Herself, I know I have. We've seen it on the interwebs, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, my business is about to change. And we're like, yeah, but what is happening is you're still making all of the decisions yep. in this in this space. That's why we call this the deciding uh, section of work, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're spending all day, actually, you know, they're doing the tasks now, and not all of them, they might be doing some tasks. And then what's happening is they're going coming back to you for reviews, approvals, decisions. Uh, This can be very exhausting. We know that this is scientifically true that that decision making is is very Mm. energetically and neurologically draining. Yep. Um, And so what happens is I have a lot of business owners and a lot of clients who then say, Adrian, I am so tired, but I did I feel like I did nothing today. And I'm like, oh, you did a lot. You made 407 decisions. You just didn't get any of your own work done, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's a problem. We have 28 million small business owners in the United States alone. 22 million of those small business owners are the only employee of their company. Wow. So to me, that means they're getting stuck in this cycle of doing and then bringing someone on into the deciding. They realize, you know what? And I hear this line all the time. It was just easier when I did it all myself, <laughs> right? So they probably let go of that person or just try to do it all themselves. And what they're uh, essentially doing is just stagnating their growth and uh, a little bit of their sanity, right? Because now they're back to doing a lot of things that they don't really love or enjoy doing mm-hmm. or they're not the best at. So we want to try to traverse out of that stage as much as possible. We don't want to spend a ton of time in deciding. And the way that we do that is we move to the third stage, which is delegating. So delegating is when we've really outsourced ownership of not just tasks, but we outsource ownership of results. We outsource the outcomes to people, which means that we have to be really clear in our job role descriptions. We need to be really clear when we hire people, what is the outcome or the result that we're really trying that for them to get? Because oftentimes we just hire people with these really generic job roles or no real sense of direction in how they could operate 
more independently and autonomously, right? We just end up hiring them and thinking, Oh, I'll just give them tasks as I go. Uh, and then they, and then we, and then we get frustrated because they're not three steps ahead of us. I hear this all the time. I wish I had a assistant who was just three steps ahead of me. I think I hired the wrong person. And I'm like, no, you're the wrong person. (laughs) (laughs) Common denominator. The common denominator is you because you're not giving them the tools or the support or the responsibility. You're not trusting them enough or you're not giving them enough decision-making tools and frameworks. We use a lot of decision-making guidelines, decision-making trees, things that can help our team understand the brand and the business. We want them to start thinking the way you might think or at least think the way the business might think because this is where people Mm. bite themselves uh, in the ass is that they they start thinking that they're delegating and then they let team members make decisions. And then when a team member makes a decision that is still correct, but it is not the same exact decision that they would have made, they they relinquish that power or they go back mm. and they say, oh, this is kind of good or this is good, but I would have done it this way. Or I'm going to change that because this is the decision that I would make. And I, and I just want people to understand that by doing that, you're only lowering their, their confidence and their self-trust in their own decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will revert mm-hmm. back to deciding they're going to come to you if, if you're not giving them that freedom to make those decisions or if you've given it to them falsely and then taken it back. Like, why would mm-hmm. they make a decision for your business if it it's there's a huge risk involved now, right? Like yeah. they might not make the right one is what you're teaching them. So if we're going to be delegating, we have to have the tools and systems in place to do that. Um, you got to spend the time training these people and getting really clear on what is the outcome that we are hiring this person for? Like, what's the role that we really want them to hold? We even have our clients outsource metrics to those specific team members, right? Like, what do you give them a target to hit? Because then they'll be able to operate more autonomously. So you want to look at your time tracking and, you know, see which, like, have you been handing over things in in a deciding phase? Is this a, or did you maybe create a training that was a a delegation Mm -hmm. um, activity? Those are going to be typically the lowest amount of your time that you're spending. And those are the ones where it's really important to get super specific. Like if your um, assistant emails you and you're going back and forth on a decision, put that in there, right? That's time spent Mm. in deciding. Otherwise, you're not going to get any deciding on your tracking typically, right? Because you just shove it off as like you don't write it down. You're not monitoring it or uh, tracking it as deciding until you're now conscious of this. So hopefully that will be helpful as you do your time tracking. And then that fourth Mm. stage is designing. And this is where we're really designing uh, the vision of the company. We're designing the new products and services. Mm. We're designing the new intellectual property. We're designing workflows. We're designing the right team. Um, So this is much higher level strategic visionary space that we are going to be in. And um, Mm -hmm. that's where I want my CEOs as they grow these teams to be starting to turn the dial and thinking, how can I keep spending more and more time week over week in that designing phase, right? 
Mm-hmm. But the key here is you can't do that until you have other team members in the doing, right? Because a company has to provide value to a marketplace, right? So that is where the doing comes in. Someone has to be doing the actual work, but it doesn't need to yep. be you. And I would be really clear and specific about which work do you need to be doing because you are the the value provider, you're the expert, maybe if it's a either a course or consulting or things like that, that might be the doing that you need to do at this point in your business. But there are a ton of other things that are probably on your plate that you could start trying to transition out of. And so once you have that mix and that makeup, you want to start looking for where you could start turning that dial towards more of an ideal for you. right? And don't mm-hmm. do this all at once because what will happen is you'll get super overwhelmed. Uh, this happened to a client recently because someone else told them that they should just turn the dial all at once. like Go all the way just back to... you know. Getting everything off your plate, and I was like, "No, this is this is sometimes a year long process, right? We work with our clients mm. for a long time to remove them fully from the day to day operation. So I just want you, as your homework from this guest lecture, to take one hour, right? Like one hour from that week that you just tracked, and where could you move it to from doing or deciding into those higher level four uh, Ds, right? Into those higher level of delegating." or designing. Okay. So that would be the the higher level work that you're spending your time on. I would much rather you spend an hour training something someone on your team on how to do something more autonomously uh, than spend 20 minutes making decisions for them, right? So spend that time up front in that delegating if you need to, but just pick one hour. I'm sure you could look at the time tracking pretty much right after you do it. I had um, I did a workshop in Canada this past weekend. I just had them do one sample day. And I said, just find one hour on that day that you could move. And every single person found one. So I know that you can do this pretty simply just by being really honest with yourself. That's key here, right? Like You don't get any bonus points for uh, cheating on your time tracking analysis. Although <laughs> sometimes it's tempting to be like, I don't really spend that much time in my email inbox, right? Or I don't really spend that much time chatting back and forth with my assistant on how she should be doing something, right? Like, we're making a decision. Some of us are so indecisive. And I want Mm. you to be more confident in your own decision making too, because we do not want Mm. to spend so much time there. It is no one single decision typically makes or breaks you. And hopefully that's helpful for you today too, Lindsay, (laughs) because we were talking about decision making. (laughs) What? (laughs) We had a little pre-chat. So (laughs) yeah, it's true. No, I'm looking back on this and being like, where were you about a year ago or a year and a half ago? But that's it was one of those things that I think that my audience would probably really relate to. And that's why having you on is helpful, I think, because I think we're going to prevent a lot of that stress that happens in the early stages of business, even if my folks are still in the academy and like they have like a side hustle and they're doing consulting you only have so many precious hours, right? So to be more efficient with those few hours that you have, one of the biggest shifts I made when I was doing both, which happened that fall, I also was the same fall I was leaving. I was running a full-time business where I was doing the doing and the deciding and I had no one on my team while I was teaching a full load. Yes, a lot of it was online and that helped, which is a whole other discussion. But I actually started to realize, and I think the time efficiency thing is something as an academic, and it might be different for corporate, but as an academic, I don't think about pay 
like my salary. I think when you're a salaried professional, Mm. you're not like, oh, this hour that I'm spending with my student equals X dollars. But what I started to realize, and Todd was actually one of the first people that taught me the like $1,000 task versus the $15 task. So for me, that vision and designing, those are the $1,000 tasks. You're creating a new product. You're designing a new package. You're onboarding maybe some new a new some new folks for a new offer mm-hmm. those are $1000 tasks because yeah. it is your business being built um the 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 $15 tasks are things like creating a graphic or like deciding what calendar yeah. to use which are decisions that have to be made but not it doesn't have to be made by right. you so i feel like what you're bringing up is this whole framework that people can see themselves yes. move through which is really helpful i love me a good framework <laughs> But then recognize, okay, even just one hour, because I get asked a lot, like, how, like, how do I decide what to do? How do I need a productivity course? And I'm like, you probably don't. (laughs) You probably need to sit down and look and time track and say, how am I spending my time? What would offload stuff for me? And then Adrian's in your ear saying, and how can you set that person up for success? So you're truly Yeah, so you're not like giving yourself more of a job, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. still work if you're making those decisions and and you don't, that's a control thing, right? Like you don't, if you set them up effectively with the right guidelines and tools and, and training, then they're going to be able to operate more autonomously and you're going to be doing so much more for them as a human being and as an individual who probably Mm. wants to grow and operate autonomously as as well, you know? Yep. Yep. And be trusted and empowered. I mean, I keep aligning it to being a professor. Like we want our students to be empowered to, you know, right? Like we are not, you know, most of my progressive professors out there aren't like, oh, I lecture and good luck and hopefully you get an A. It's all up to you. There's like this co-creation thing. That's how your like employees and contractors want to be seen in an organization that's running well. They're a part of a team. And um, so what, you know, we can take some of those classroom analogies and really apply them to business. I, it was easy for me to see my employees as like humans who like had families. Like I was very Mm -hmm. empathetic and it wasn't that they were serving my business. But what I don't think I knew was a lot of what you're teaching, which is like, how do you actually manage people? I was never in a management position in my life. I, I chose my profession because I didn't have like a typical like nine to five job, which is what a lot of professors do. So they come in and they start a business and they're like, I need to learn how to do this correctly. And I feel like Adrian's the, you know, Adrian and Mike and what they're doing with Run Like Clockwork is like, that's like... There's nothing like this out there, I promise you. Um, Yeah. But I think that even as an academic, like like you said, like teaching or, or treating the team members like you would want to treat your students is actually a great analogy, mm. right? Like we we don't want to do it for them. Like we don't need to nope. take these responsibilities away from them. And in actuality, what is what is that actually teaching them? Nothing, right? Then they're not mm-hmm. able to grow and develop and become even better members yep. of our team. So I think that even as an academic, give yourself a little bit more credit, everyone who's listening, that you do have a lot of mm-hmm. these skills because you get 
rowdy students to do this work all the time, right? <laughs> so imagine if you're paying someone. Yeah, the boundaries, <laughs> the boundaries we create, all of that. Yep. Yes. It's different. Like, and that transactional relationship, I think that was part of what I had to learn as well. Like, now I'm somewhat responsible for their livelihood, even though I'm not, which has been part of like something I've had to like learn. But yeah, I, I'm looking back at those early days of my team members that I hired. And while they took a lot off my plate, that's all I was doing was following up on projects. And I was like in Slack, you know, it doesn't matter what tool you're using. If you're in there all the time on call every moment, I'm sitting here going, why am I not creating a course? Why am I not? And then I start judging myself, right? And it was because I never got out of uh, the deciding phase that early on. And I tell Um, people all the time because they think, you know, when it comes to operations, Mm -hmm. we have a very integrated people and processes approach. Um, whereas a lot of operational, you know, programs or systems out there, I think want to go with like, you just need SOPs or you just need to automate, or you just need to do this, Ah, or you just need to hire that unicorn. Mm -hmm. You just need to hire the right person. And I'm like, actually you could have the best tools. You could have the best SOPs in the world. You could have the best workflows, but if you don't have the leadership and the people to implement them. Mm. That ain't going to work. And you could have the, you could hire the best people out there, but if you don't give them the right structures, systems, SOPs, tools to actually implement or the right uh, level of leadership and ownership, then that's not going to work either. And so I think Mm. this is the most like full integrated approach that I've seen out there, which is why I'm so proud of the work that we're doing, Mm. because I think it really supports people in, in their business and removing themselves from it, because we know that Mm. It can squash you after a while. <laughs> we don't mm. want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I realized, yeah, probably about like four or five months ago, I was like, did I accidentally create like a job that I like what? Like I left the institution to, you know, and then I'm putting my own yes. institution on top of me. And it's like, oh, yeah, it doesn't yes. have to be right. So I love that. Um, really cool. So I like to end maybe with one piece of advice from your journey. And I know it could be from when you decided to take the leap. It can be from a piece of advice in in the work that you're doing and supporting people around this, um, you know, organizational efficiency stuff. One Mm. piece of advice for an early stage entrepreneur building a business. Okay, I will say this because I think it paralyzed me a little bit in in some Mm. ways as well. But like getting through this was what allowed me to excel was that like, you're never going to know everything. And as an intellectual, I think that it's probably paralyzing to try to start without knowing all of the pieces or knowing where you're going or knowing exactly how to do things. And the truth is you're just not going to know everything, right? Like I still don't know everything. And four years later, we run a very successful business. And I would not be able to say that if I didn't just start and trust myself and know that I will figure it out. And so look for evidence in your life where you didn't know everything and you figured it out anyways, right? Because that is exactly how you'll be able to show up for this business. Yes, it's a new setting, a new environment, a new uh, opportunity, but you're never going to know everything. So look for times, experiences to prove to yourself even though I didn't know everything, I still made it work. I'm still a really, you know, capable individual. (laughs) Yeah. Cough, cough, grad school, like dissertation, like all of it. I think it's so funny because it's so true that I think makes for a good teacher. Like 
I don't know everything. That's impossible. Knowledge is advancing as I'm lecturing this current thing I prepared for you. And so once you're okay with that, that same thing translates in business. It's you will never know everything. It's not the next course. It's not the next mentor, but know that you're constantly expanding and finding constantly. And I always, um, I I have this like question that I always ask myself and it started when I was delivering my, I had to do my thesis defense actually. And I was so nervous and I felt like there was Mm. so much writing on that defense meeting and I felt like an idiot, right? Even though I was the expert Mm -hmm. on it. I don't know (laughs) anything. They're going to find something that Mm -hmm. I don't know. And so before I walked into that meeting, I was like, Adrian, are you going to die? And I was like, no, I'm not going to die, right? Mm -hmm. Like the worst thing that happens is not really that bad, right? Like maybe I have to come back another semester and defend this thing, but you're not going to (laughs) die. I felt like I was going to throw up on the table, but like I wasn't going to die. And I still use that. Like it's such a simple perspective question and it's so silly potentially, but it got me through a lot of, you know, hard things (laughs) in both my life Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. business growth, because there have been times when I didn't want to do something. And I always am asking myself Mm -hmm. like, but is it going to move you towards your goals? And are you going to (laughs) die? Right? (laughs) I, I was advised by a mentor to like, imagine the worst case scenario and be okay going there. Like, what does it look like? What is the absolute worst possible thing? So death is, (laughs) that's like the easy thing, but then you can get to a situational thing and say, what does the worst case look like? Most likely even you feeling into it, you're like, oh, even if that happened, I'm not going to die is the end of that. And then it doesn't feel as hard because you've thought through the worry um, that we can create the story that we can create in our heads about that that's basically protecting us from being uncomfortable and the fear. And if we go, oh, that's what it would look like. Yep. Oh, yeah. So I actually I always ask myself okay. these four I questions. Be What's the best thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen? And I go through it like you do the scenario, like mm-hmm. I'll end up under a bridge and I will be homeless. No, it's never the case, right? Like I'll yeah. always like go get a job at Starbucks or something. I'll be fine. Mm-mm. I believe that enough about myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then are you going to die? And does it move you closer to the goals that you want? That's it. I think a lot of people don't have that last piece. That <laughs> is a whole other... We'll have to have you back on for There's that a whole up. episode on my old <laughs> podcast, actually. We can link it up. Link it up. What up? Too bad you don't know it offhand, like the number. What number it is? Funny. I know. It was like, actually Dang. pretty early on. I don't know. <laughs> we'll link it in it's the show good. notes. I mean, her whole thing. You should package that. That should be a course or something. <laughs> I'm going to send all my people over well, there. Well, thank Just you. Go. I appreciate that. Maybe we'll start awesome, back up soon. Awesome, Adrian. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I can't wait for the next iteration of your podcast, whatever it is. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> Heard here first. No, um, very cool. Well, thank you for joining us. You did amazing. You are now an honorary guest lecturer oh on. Gosh, Academics I'm going to put it business. after my signature. Thank <laughs> you. We'll give you some letters. Letters. A-M-B. G-L. Honorary <laughs> guest. GL. Perfect. Uh, always thank a good you for time. having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming by. We'll see you next time. See you.